So have you really thought about what goes into your morning cup of coffee? Have you ever taken a look at the back of your coffee creamer to see what's actually inside the bottle? Well, if you do take a look, you might be surprised to find a number of chemicals, oils, and artificial flavors. But don't worry, Laird Superfoods is here to help change that. Laird Superfoods started in 2015 when big wave surfer Laird Hamilton was looking for a coffee but couldn't find one on the market that met his standards. Laird started experimenting with his own morning coffee nearly two decades ago. And he found that when he started adding fats, like coconut oil, he had amazing energy throughout the rest of his day. And eventually, when he felt like he had perfected his recipe, he started sharing it with friends in the surf community. And now, he's sharing it with all of the rest of us through Laird Superfoods. And Laird doesn't just make coffee, they also offer functional superfood creamers, instant lattes, prebiotic greens, and a variety of snacks and supplements full of wholesome, plant-based ingredients to keep you charged for wherever life takes you. Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code GOPODCAST at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. Everybody, welcome to episode 108 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of today's show, I just want to remind everyone that we have that new help out section on the website, gogetoutside.com. And there in that section, you can find a variety of media that can help you share this show. And I also want to remind you all about our brand new YouTube page, youtube.com slash at gogetoutsidepodcast. And if you have trouble finding that, you can always go to our website, gogetoutside.com. Go to the video section, the YouTube page, and it will take you right there. Please subscribe to that YouTube page. There you can follow the audio podcast if that's how you prefer to listen to it. But in addition to all of that, we have videos from the original Go Get Outside web series, from the Untethered series. I'm adding videos constantly. And just this week, I started what I'm calling enhanced podcast episodes. Right now, there is only one of them. But I took episode 104, Diaries from the JMT, and added photos and video of that 2019 hike. So hopefully that will give all of you a more immersive experience when you're listening to that episode. So please go check that out. But that's enough of me shilling for my own show. Let's get to why you are here. Longtime listeners of the show may recognize today's guest. If you've ever listened to episode 34 with Kat Carney and Craig Kinsley, you may have wondered, oh, I wonder how this road trip they're talking about went. Well, today you can find out because it has been seven years since we recorded that podcast episode and a lot has changed in their lives. You may recall that Kat Carney is an adventure photographer and Craig Kinsley was an Olympian javelin thrower. And not only did they appear in episode 34 of this podcast, but they also were in the second episode of our Untethered on the Road series. And Kat was featured in an Untethered My Passion episode specifically about her and her photography. 
This episode was recorded on a rainy night at their home in Rhode Island, as fate would have it, the one night that we decided to record was when it would rain, so instead of recording outside on their patio, we are inside at their kitchen table. So this episode is a little more echoey than usual, but I think you will still have a great time. So let's get to it. Let's get to this episode about living on the road out of a suburban for a year, about discovering a deep-seated love of surfing, a little bit in there about climbing, a whole lot about parenting, because, spoiler, they are now parents. We'll also hear about their future plans as a family and learn about the power of the phrase, Hello Turtle. So if you're listening to this show, I know that you know that hydration is important. But hydration isn't just for super active activities. We need to stay hydrated all the time. I bet that when you are at work or when you're on a long road trip or you're traveling across country or across the world and you're spending a lot of time in airports, I bet you're not hydrating yourself enough. So yes, we know that hydration is important. It's important at all times. And that is what Liquid IV is here to help you do. And Liquid IV comes in a bunch of delicious flavors, 12 to be precise, including things such as sea berry, strawberry lemonade, lemon lime, pina colada, watermelon, strawberry, passion fruit, and it goes on. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. And you want to know why? It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, vitamin C. It has three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks, made with quality ingredients, non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, and soy for anyone with any sort of dietary restriction. But here's the thing that I think I like the most about Liquid IV. They are dedicated to equitable access to clean and abundant water across the world. So they're partnering with leading organizations to fund and foster innovative solutions that help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in over 50 countries around the world. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GOPODCAST at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GOPODCAST at liquidiv.com. I think it's safe to say that a lot of you out there are coffee lovers. You probably brew something fresh every morning, or maybe you run to a local coffee shop or drive through on your way to work each morning. But have you ever taken the time to think about what is in your coffee or the other additives you add, like your coffee creamer? Well, Laird Superfood could help you up your coffee game with an entirely new coffee experience. With Laird, you'll get better ingredients, amazing taste, and functional benefits. All products are sustainably sourced and thoroughly tested to ensure that you are incorporating the cleanest, finest fuel into your routine. Their coffees are made from all-natural, whole food ingredients, contain naturally occurring MCTs from coconut oil, have no artificial flavors, colors, or additives. And the Laird Superfood Creamers are crafted from the highest quality, all-natural, real food ingredients. 
Are you ready to feel more energized, focused, and supported? Go to LairdSuperfood.com and add nourishing plant-based foods to fuel you from sunrise to sunset. Use our promo code GOPODCAST at checkout to save 15% off your purchase today. I'm Kat Carney. I'm a photographer. We now live in Rhode Island, so a little bit of a change from last time. We used to live in San Diego, and we moved across the country to Rhode Island in 2017, I guess. What else do you want to know about me? We'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. Now we need to know who this other guy yeah. in this brown track and field shirt is. I'm Craig Kinsley. I am a father to a one-year-old, which you forgot oh, to say. Oh, you're making me look bad now or and sound bad. What a terrible mother. I'm a business owner. I coached track for a while, and I'm not doing that anymore, which means more fun outdoors. Do either of you want to guess when it was you were on the show before, or how long it's been since you were on the show before? I think it was 2016, which was seven years ago that is accurate yes it was seven years ago so part of the reason we have you here is because one i'm at your house i'm sleeping at your house and <laughs> i don't want to make you feel obligated to be on the show but no the real reason that i'm asking you to be on the show is because what your life was like seven years ago and what your life is like now seven years later is very very different so they have a whole old episode. I think it was episode 34. I, I didn't really listen to it, even though I should have, because I'm a very professional person. So I don't remember what all we talked about, but I do know we talked about a whole bunch of hitchhiking and YouTube meeting in Alaska. Oh, okay, so our origin story. So we talked about all of okay. those things. We don't need to cover that ground again. People can go listen to episode 34, I believe it is, yeah. if they want to hear that again. But let's just give a quick synopsis of those elements catch us up to 2016 and then talk about the wild seven years that you've spent since then well and we're inside your house so if people hear creaking that is the sounds of the table and chairs here in providence rhode island home of hp lovecraft <laughs> chairs, these chairs are Which, guaranteed older than any of us and they're extremely creaky yes and hp lovecraft is a person that both of you living in rhode island are extremely familiar with correct yes we had never Very heard of him familiar. we had never heard of him until Jason was obsessed with him and then they (laughs) came to Providence and we took a tour of Providence and saw things that we've never seen and it turns out his stuff is all over the place. There is a lot of HP Lovecraft in in Rhode Island apparently or in Providence specifically. And apparently Craig used to walk right next right past his plaque daily and Mm -hmm. never noticed it. Mm -hmm. But anyway yeah let's uh, let's get the quick synopsis of who you two people are. You know, the quick, quick version. The like so version. quick, quick, I'd say I'm from Connecticut and Kat's from Kansas. And we met in Arizona in between years of college. We were each enticed to go work seasonal jobs out at Lake Powell by different friends. Obviously, we didn't know each other and we came from different places. But we ended up meeting each other in Arizona, going to Alaska the next summer, started dating there. Kind of dated more or less until we got married in 2017 uh, and we eventually moved to the same place to live together in San Diego. Um, That was in 2012, 2012, 2013. And then we were in San Diego for four years. In 2016, we moved into a truck to live on the road. Maybe right before that is when we did the podcast last or during that. Yeah, no, right before that, because one of the things I remember us talking about is how you were building out the Suburban, 
because you wanted to go travel. And then what happened is you did that. Yeah. <laughs> and you got engaged and you got married. Yeah, and, and I think kid, you were you one of the Island. first people, or maybe the first person that we told that we got that we had gotten engaged because we saw you the day after. Yeah. So so let's go into that. So. <laughs> So let's get to that in a moment because, yeah, there was a crossover where Erica and I, who was hiding in this room and refused a microphone because she and doesn't giggling. want to know that. Yeah, and giggling. <laughs> <laughs> Erica and I were traveling, doing this road trip for this untethered on the road web series we were doing. And we met up with you guys and it just happened you had just gotten engaged before that. But before we get to that story, let's talk about why the Suburban, how the Suburban, and what that what that whole trip looked like. Well, Kat's looking at me, so I'm gonna answer. Kat has to talk too. He yeah, knows so, why the Suburban. Well, Kat moved to San Diego to help with me following my dream of making a second Olympic team. And by the time we were done with the four years in San Diego. Right, um, so quick humble brag. Craig here is a past Olympian and a spear thrower. He prefers the term javelin, but he throws a stick real good. Yeah, 2012 London Olympics. And then that's when we moved. He moved to the Olympic Training Center. And then... And so we were there for four years. Yeah. Kat had started her photography business in 2016. The idea was to take off on the road, and it was outdoor kind of adventure and commercial photography. And so the idea was to take off on the road in 2016 and launch her business full-time. Quit her job and, and you know do the photography thing full-time. And so we were looking for something to live in, and we wanted something that was 4 by 4 and we didn't have enough money to pay for a sprinter four by four or any kind of four by four van more or less that didn't have 500,000 miles on it. And so the Suburban was the best option. We were just looking for large SUVs that would be comfortable to make a bed in the back of. And at first it was like trucks. And then we realized, well, a Suburban is a lot like a van. You just can't stand up in it. Um, but you can't pass like through to the, van. you can pass through to the front seats and you can pass through to the back. And so if it's pouring rain, you have like a contained space where you have some comfortable seats to sit up front with actual headroom while you're seated. And then you have a bed that's long enough to stretch out in the back. And we had have, a fridge in between the two front seats, which was really nice to so, have. Oh yeah, I do remember that. You had taken the console uh -huh. and converted it into a refrigerator. Yeah. Which so is you, also where you taught Erica how to make her favorite snack. Yes. <laughs> Tortilla cheese roll-ups, mm -hmm. in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> and so yeah, it just made the most sense. And you could access the fridge from the front seats when you're driving, or you could access the fridge from the back bed while you were camping or laying in bed and we just cooked out the back with the tailgate up i mean honestly i think it worked out better than we could have imagined and i don't think we would have done it any other way and the suburban was like super easy to drive and park and so. craig ended up being on the road for what was it four or five months and then he had to go start his job in providence and then but then summer came and he was back on the road for three-ish more months so he spent a total of like eight months on the road and I ended up spending longer than a year on the road. So we got engaged living on the road, and then we got married, and I was still living on the road, even though he had moved to Providence. Like, maybe two months after we got married, I finally moved to Providence. You were in San Diego last time I talked to you. You're building out this van. You've got a place there that you're renting, and then you guys take off on the road. At that moment, is the thought, this is the last time in San Diego? Because you didn't know you were moving to Providence at that point, right? No, we didn't know. It was kind of, so Craig knew he wanted to coach track and field. 
we didn't have any idea where he would eventually get a job. The jobs are like wherever colleges are, and you never know when a job is gonna, going to come up where, so we figured well, he could just apply while we were on the road. But then his alma mater, the job opened up, the head coach there called him, and he said no at first because we had planned to do this, and he should, ideally, they would want him to go immediately. So he said no because we had this plan and he would just get a different job. But then they said, oh, well, you can you can come in the winter. You don't have to come during the fall semester. And so then he said yes. And then we spent three months on the road after that because we were already, I think, a little bit into the road life. And then he started, I think, in December of 2016 or something like that. And was the idea to just live out of that suburban indefinitely until you decided not to anymore? Or was there a time limit? I think we were kind of thinking about, we had started traveling in in the summer of 2016. And the idea was, a lot of the jobs open up at right at the end of the school year as the track season winds down in the spring and so a lot of the jobs open up in the early or the late spring early summer so the idea was to travel for a year and then apply for jobs when they opened up but instead an opportunity came a lot earlier than expected it it came that summer essentially like at the very end of the summer as we had just started the trip i said no and they said come in come in january and i said okay so tell us what that was like once you moved into the suburban it's it's pretty big change from living in a house that you're renting in San Diego. I mean, it was the easiest transition of all time. It was just like the best thing that... We thought it was the greatest thing on the face of the planet. Yeah, I mean, it was like, if you've never lived in a vehicle before, you kind of forget the fact that, well, you can just go wherever the weather is awesome. So, like, you don't need a lot of living space. It's like, it's extremely luxurious to have refrigerated food and have a, a stove that you can cook at and a and like a proper bed that you can sleep in. And we had all those things. So it was like camping and you can go to anywhere you want, but it's like glamping because you have everything, like all the creature comforts of home with you. And you can always be in a new location with perfect weather. And sometimes you're gonna get rained on and all that, but it was just like, it was amazing. Yeah, and we did have a couple places that we had to be like planned out. So the first part of the road trip was we had to go to Eugene, Oregon for USA Track and Field Championships because Craig was still coaching his training partner at that point. Well, I guess no, that was his Olympic trials. Oh, the Olympic trials, yeah. that was the Olympic trials in 2016. So we went up and our first night was with a view of Mount Shasta and we were both just kind of like giddy like look we're looking at Mount Shasta and we're sleeping in bed and this is like a comfortable bed not like a camping sleeping pad like we're fancy (laughs) we're so fancy now we're really excited um, for the trip and then we went up to Eugene and um, Craig coached and his training partner made the 2016 Olympic team on the way or we saw Crater Lake that portion of the trip and I don't know just like a bunch of great stuff in in Oregon and Northern California and then Craig actually had to fly to Rio de Janeiro to coach his training partner in the Olympics and then we carried on with (laughs) with the trip so I think now that takes us to like August or something Um, but we had a couple things planned out that we really wanted to do like all of November we spent surfing in Baja we had like a rough idea of like go from Baja to the Arctic Circle in like Barrow, Alaska. And we didn't we didn't quite achieve that, but <laughs> we still had a great time. I do think from what I've heard when I've talked to you guys other times, is Baja did leave a big impression on you. And also, is that where you, that's where you first surfed, right, Greg? I had surfed a couple times in San Diego, literally a couple times, because I was always afraid I was gonna get injured while I was training. And then you, Kat, had you surfed at all before that? Yeah. Were you a surfer before then? I had surfed several years before in Hawaii, and then I had surfed in San Diego 
a little bit while I was there, but really the summer that we were getting ready to leave, I was surfing with my friend as much as possible, really just because I wanted to be better at it before we went down to Baja and had a month. No, I wouldn't say either of us were like good I was definitely not a surfer at, at that point. <laughs> I wouldn't, and I wouldn't call us surfers, but we had surfed before, yeah. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that experience of the time you were in Baja and... Well, because uh, you you are very enamored with surfing. Now, oh right? yeah, it's definitely my one number. It was not at that time. I wasn't a surfer, and and I was. I think Baja was the part of the trip that Cat was maybe most excited about, mm-hmm. and the part of the trip that I was least excited about. Yeah, he didn't really want to do it or see the value, and I was like, Craig, surfing is really fun. Like, just trust me on this. But that's also like a theme of our relationship. <laughs> is <laughs> is like I the summer that we met, we were wakeboarding on Lake Powell, and. He was just like, ah, oh, I just like don't think this is for me, and I was like, what wakeboarding? I think is I said me? the words like water sports aren't. Yeah, for you me, said which water is, like, sports laughable. is not for me, and <laughs> and I was like, well, you just tried like one time, like maybe give it a few more. Um, I don't like know, things that I'm not good at immediately. Goes, you know, and then literally, you know, three days later, he's jumping the wake, and he thinks it's the greatest thing ever. And I'm like, okay, just <laughs> give things a little bit more time, then, because he is naturally really good at things normally. I I think I remember because it was our both of our first times wake, wakeboarding I got up the first time and you didn't <laughs> and I think that's what did it really possibly <laughs> he's still sore all right so wakeboarding you eventually learned that you like because you understood that you don't have to immediately be good at something mm-hmm. so congratulations to you on on maturing and aging <laughs> in life thank you so so what did that what ha, what was different because you said you went a couple times in San Diego. I had, what was I had, different in Baja? I had gone, my dad started surfing a few years before that, and I had like gone surfing, I'm using air quotes, because I went out on his like stand-up paddleboard, just fell off and got hit by the board, and it wasn't surfing, it was just like trying to paddleboard in waves, and I just fell off and got hit by the board, and I was like, I'm going to hurt myself, and at that point I was still training, and uh, it just seemed, first of all, not fun, second of all, dangerous, and just not worth the risk. Then we'd served a couple times in San Diego when I stopped training. Um, I was I had an injury that ended my throwing career, but I was still coaching my training partner who I trained with for the four years. I wasn't going to let him, you know, not be there for the last three months of his Olympic journey. But I surfed a few times and started to get the itch a little bit, but still I wasn't that excited about Baja. And then Baja, if you haven't been to Baja, Baja is essentially like California, but with, I don't know, one-tenth the number of people. Maybe less. I'm not sure. Like, well, Tijuana the north is, is kind still of... loaded with people, but we kind of just drove through the north as quickly as possible to get to central and south Baja. And some people would say that the waves are better. I mean, they're way emptier. And so, like, California, it's, like, kind of scary sometimes, I think, learning to surf out there because there are so many good surfers in the water and you just feel like an idiot. And it's a lot of trying and not surfing. And also um, certain areas, people are not welcoming. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's like a cool community, but it's a terrible community at the same time because people like actively try to scare you away from their spots and they think that that's cool because it means more waves for them. That's not just like in some spots, that's in a lot of spots. Yeah. It's like a surf culture thing. And certain breaks, people are cool with beginners being there and making mistakes. And then others, one mistake could lead to an immediate confrontation. I mean, part of that's a safety thing too. Like there are certain types of waves that beginners shouldn't be on. It's not completely without reason. Some of it is um, safety, but a lot of it's just localism too. Yeah, but yeah, Baja was insane, amazing. And there were consistent waves the whole month and we surfed between one and three times a day. It launched us from beginner. It, we did a, a couple years worth of surfing in a month. 
because mm-hmm. um, that was the only thing we were trying to do. And it launched us from like beginner to intermediate pretty much in that month. And so like after could that- actually stand up and ride waves down, down the line. The and that was like, you know, if you're getting down the line on a wave, you're probably, I'd say you're probably an intermediate surfer. And so it was amazing. It was, it launched our surf life. So that was one of the big reasons why, well, actually, no, we already knew we were moving to Providence before that, because that was in November. By that time we had, we And know, fortunately, yeah. <laughs> Rhode Island's on the, on the ocean. So we were very lucky with that. So it was a month that you were down in Baja? So let's talk about the logistics. So we know you've built out the Suburban and you can keep most of your items in there. You can sleep in there. So what did that look like in Baja? Were you just driving around finding places to sleep kind of boondock style or were you finding campgrounds? Were you sleeping on the beach? What did that look like? We had two books with us that one of our good friends in San Diego had given to us as she had been down multiple times and She'd been surfing down there, and we honestly just used those two books as guides for surf spots and for camp spots, which a lot of times are one and the same. And so we sort of just made our way down that we kind of knew that we wanted to go further south than all the spots we had been to before. And um, we sort of drove a lot the first, what, two days. When we got to Central Baja, we started going basically to the coast and just slowly making our way down. We also went to the Sea of Cortez side once. That was really cool, but Craig thought it was too hot over there. So we went back to the Pacific side. But on the Sea of Cortez side, we saw bioluminescence and that was awesome. And then we went back over to um, the central coast and that was really our favorite area. At least the time of year that we were there. It was Mm -hmm. like the weather was perfect and the waves were great. Water is clear and beautiful and there's just not much to complain about. (laughs) Do you remember what those two books were that you were using as references? I think we have have them because we bought them. Surfer's Guide. We have them on the bookshelf there. We'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe Erica can retrieve them. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're they're out there. So let's talk about the other specifics. Baja, despite what some people might not know, is in Mexico. Some people in the United States think that Mexico is a very dangerous place Mm -hmm. where you wouldn't want to be for a month or where the police are going to harass you or any number of other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was there any credence in your experience to those did you have any issues anywhere? There are military checkpoints, and then there are police stops occasionally. We only had one police stop when we went to La Paz. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit different feeling, the police stop. than the, the military checkpoints were just all business. They were just asking us questions, wanted to see our passports, wanted to know what we were doing and where we were going, just kind of exactly what you would expect. The police stop was just a little bit different like I don't know like they were just trying to find something that maybe wasn't there I I speak conversational Spanish so I was able to communicate with them and I think maybe that helped our situation but long story short there was nothing that we came upon that nothing sketchy just a slightly different experience with the police stop versus the military stop but we had been we had been told by some people who are you know we had camped with and served with one of the days that that somebody had, had kind of off, like yeah. lightly shaken them down. It was kind of like an unspoken thing, and I think they gave them like something, and like they drove the off. Of but we went. Yeah. We never. Nothing ever happened, and they didn't say that it was like a super intense experience. But they did say something happened with the police, the police um, checkpoint or whatever. But we never had any experiences like that. So you didn't have to bribe anyone. We nope. did not. No. Didn't have to bribe. And honestly, we. I mean, we like people like shared ceviche, like like fishermen yeah, on the coast. It was the fishermen were, were super nice. There were nice. far more positive experiences with random people that we met. The there. people in 
the towns, which the guys these had are all literally, like, they had just caught the fish and they like had just made the ceviche on the beach and they like shared it with us. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and the people in the towns were super nice. These are all like really tiny little towns. Fishing yeah, fishing villages essentially. So the population isn't that big. They're pretty used to surfers because they're, they're if they have waves there. But yeah, everyone was super nice. So did your days mostly consist of driving to some place, camping there, going out to the beach, surfing in the morning, maybe in the afternoon also? Yeah, yeah we usually. surf like one, like Craig said, one to three times a day. So in the morning, in the evening, sometimes in the middle of the day, just depending on what the waves look like. A lot of times we were just like parked on like a dirt patch on top of the point where the waves were breaking right down below us. So it was like, you know, you, you just, just surf them and all day. get in the water and surf for an hour and then eat breakfast and then maybe you get back in and it was just like crazy. Surf and, and then nap and then surf and these and little eat. And these little, it was like your surf family, like your little caravans would join up. And I know when you were talking about the hiking the John Muir Trail, it sounded like people kind of, you know, you get to know people and then yeah, you kind of yeah, travel yeah. together. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens there. You know, there'd be a little caravan of four vehicles. There's always somebody who knows a little more about the area or a little more about the waves and would say, oh, well, it's low tide. We got to go check out this spot. And we knew nothing. We were yes, complete beginners. We learned we a knew, lot, honestly. We learned so there. much. And the first night we drove up to this one break, we're looking out there and there's nobody there and it's supposed to be this famous break and we don't even know if it looks good or bad it just looks scary there's nobody even parked there and then like a few hours later all these cars drove in like all these trucks drove in like on this dirt road and like all these surfers got out and they're like all camping and we're like where were they you know like it turns out like when it's a little too big at that spot everybody goes to this other spot and then we were at that other spot and then everybody just like drove off all at the same time. And we're like, where are they going? And when it gets to low tide, there's a jetty that has a barreling wave that's like a mile and a half away that everybody goes to at low tide. And then everybody comes back there to camp. And so then we get to know the people and then you're all of a sudden learning all these things. And now here you are in this little caravan traveling with this group and you're learning an incredible amount about surfing and you're surfing like amazing world-class waves. It was incredible. If you just incredible. stick around long enough, that particular place we stayed for like the last two weeks, honestly, I think that we were there. We stopped on our way down, but then we also went all the way down south to like where the warm water was. And also because our friend was flying to La Paz and we needed to pick her up and she stayed with us for... I don't know, a week or something like that. So, so we were down south for a week, and then we came back up to the to one of the first spots that we had stopped at, and we ended up spending the last like ten days or something at that spot. And that's when we got to to know everything and sort of fall into a groove a little bit better. So, how did you decide when it was time to leave? We kind of knew that we'd spend a month there. I think we had to go to Thanksgiving or something like that. So I, I don't know. I but think we, we were, maybe we, we were <laughs> in San Diego for Thanksgiving. I think we had planned on on staying with a friend in Breckenridge. For oh yeah, for the, the winter uh, for the winter season. And I was starting work in Providence in January, so. We went kind of, I think we decided to go a little early to Breckenridge to try to get Breckenridge, some yeah, skiing in right. before. Because I think I'd already, before I even, I think I'd already we bought a passes. season. I bought an Epic Pass before ever getting the job in Providence. So I thought I was going to ski the whole season. And then I got a job in Providence that was going to take me there in the beginning of January. So um, I wanted to get some, get my money's worth out of that in December. So when we were on our road trip and we met up with you in Lake Powell, was that before or after you went to Baja? I think that was in September. Baja? That was right. It was. Yeah. Was that, that before was bef- or after? That was before. That was before we went to Baja. Before you went to Baja. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Lake Powell because 
that's a place you both love. Mm -hmm. So that was a place you went on your trip. And it's also where you ended up engaged. Tell us about all of that. Yeah, well, we met in Lake Powell in the summer of 2008. We had been, had we, had you been back there? Yeah, okay. we, I'd been back there. We'd been back there, but not for like a long period of time or anything. So maybe we hadn't maybe been back there together. Oh yeah, I don't think we had been back there together. So we wanted to go back together. And also we had started canyoneering since we lived there in the summer of 2008. So there were a bunch of canyons we wanted to do, a bunch of you know, things we wanted to see that we had loved when we were there for the summer. So yeah, we just went back to that area, I think, to experience and explore all of that stuff. And then we were paddling the pack rafts out to Lone Rock. All right, let's stop there for a second. So pack raft, for anyone listening that's unaware, is a sturdy, strong, often overpriced (laughs) raft that can be collapsed down and easily carried in a backpack. Some are shaped like a kayak, some are not, some are just shaped like a raft, and they often cost many hundreds of dollars. What you two were in were in pull toys called Explorer 200s that cost between 20 and $30. I think you can get them for about (laughs) $14.99 now. Yes, and they often leak, and sometimes they leak the first time you use them, and they should not be trusted by anyone anywhere, though there are lots of canyoners that really love them. So that was just my sidebar there, so back to you. I love Explorer 200s. I think they're unbelievable. And they actually have two chambers. They have one chamber for like the raft portion and another chamber for the for the seating portion uh and so for 14.99 they get you it's just a commercial for a fairly large well. portion of the of quality of a uh, or the usefulness of a pack that's right and as long as you don't end up in a situation where it fails miserably <laughs> yeah. on you and you're in an area where you can't self-rescue it's great but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if exactly. you which is exactly where canyoneers <laughs> use them <laughs> but yeah, so we paddled our pack rafts. Jason wanted me to say explore pool. 200. We should say pool float out into <laughs> yeah, the middle of yeah, Lake Powell. Actual, pool toys. Not pool an toys. actual pack raft. Out into the middle of Lake Powell. And, but to Lone Rock, yeah. Which is like a, a butte sticking out of the middle of the lake. I proposed there, which was a long time coming because it was nine years later. From what I recall <laughs> yeah. from the story, it's a very romantic proposal also. Oh, yeah. Well, we were just like doing flips off of Lone Rock and I came up out of the water and he said, well, you think we ought to get hitched? And I was like, what, really? Because I didn't know if he was like actually asking me. Hadn't he pushed you into the water? No, 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 he before? pushed me after he asked. Oh, gotcha. Yes. <laughs> so he asked and then I was like, okay, if you're serious, yes. And then he pushed me into the water. Yeah. As one does. He just wanted to make sure you knew exactly what you were getting yourself yeah. into. And, and he's lived up to that. And, and then a later, he fashioned a ring from paracord. And then I lost it surfing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we don't have it anymore. And now it turns out the lake is so low. That that area where we were jumping that not, off. That might not be true well, still. At now, some but I point, think last year it was a few true, months maybe. ago. Within the last few months. <laughs> uh, or a couple years. Within the last few months, as I said, <laughs> Lake Powell was so low that you could no long you could walk out to Lone Rock to that spot where we were jumping off into that giant lake because mm-hmm. it was so dry. I don't know if it's filled up again, but we saw pictures of it dry. I was like, "Ooh, how deep now was it when now, we were backflipping?" And it was always a dream. It was always a dream of ours to get like a tiny boat and go explore like every single little finger of Lake Powell. And now I'm actually kind of hoping that they end up draining it 
so that we can explore it on foot and like see everything that has been covered up. So as it as it once was, long ago. So we know you've hit up Lake Powell and then eventually end up in Baja. Before you lose Craig to Providence, where else were you able to go? Yeah, so we did like a whole desert Southwest tour that was part of when you came to see us in. Mostly, I think September, more or less. Yeah, Escalante, we did Escalante, we did Zion. We did the Moab area. Oh, we met my parents in like Southwest Colorado for- Couple 14ers. Couple 14ers, and then yeah, did Million Dollar Highway, like a lot of stuff along that, and then down, uh, what was that? Well, we went to Mesa Verde. Mesa Verde, and then a few others that were just as cool. And like had no right in there. that area, but yeah, they were totally the empty and really beautiful. Yeah, and Million Dollar Highway, for anyone not listening, is southwestern uh, Colorado. And do you both agree that that is just one spectacular stretch of highway, just gorgeous, beautiful yeah. mountains? Definitely the prettiest part of Colorado. It's my favorite part of Colorado, hands yeah. down. We did Handy's Peak, we did Snuffles, what else did we do while we were there? We did a couple like lake, oh, yeah. beautiful lake hikes that just the color of the water and the lakes and just the cert of mountains that are there are just, I think, I don't know, just the mo- some of the most beautiful. As good in as the it United gets. States. Yeah. yeah. And also the leaves were changing. It was September, so they changed kind of early there, but it was just such a nice time of year to be there. Yeah. So, okay. We saw all of that. So lots of desert, lots of surfing. And then we went to Breckenridge, like Craig said, because we have... We had friends there, and we had bought epic passes. So Craig wanted to get like at least three weeks of skiing in before before he had to start his full time job. So let's talk about gear. You're in a suburban. We know you've got surfboards. Mm-hmm. We know you have canyoneering gear. Mm-hmm. We know Bikes. you have oh you have bicycles. Bikes. Oh, I, I have forgot to have about clothing that part. We went mountain other. biking in like Northern California, like the Mammoth area, like in Nevada, Vegas area. And in Colorado, yeah, we did all that too. Does that mean you're also carrying skis, snowboards, whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, did you have any trouble making space for all of this gear? Did you ship any back? Buy any? Rent stuff? How did that we work? We may have left. We may have had skis at at our friend's house in San Diego. We may not have had them in like Baja because we were coming we back through San Diego. Back in San Diego, they had like a shed. We left it in their yet. shed. Um, but no. Oh, I bought my snowboard in Colorado. Oh, okay. That winter. And. Oh, I might have bought skis too. I don't even think I owned skis. Oh, you those bought skis. skis. I think I didn't think I owned skis. Yeah, yeah, I didn't own skis at that time. We had a rooftop box also, so that was helpful. You also had solar panels, right? On the, solar I've panels seen on top of the rooftop box, yes. And everything was on top of everything else. Yes. Did those solar panels really make a difference? Like, did that generate a decent amount of electricity for you? I mean, it ran our fridge. It could run the fridge, fridge indefinitely. Which was just kind of what we needed it for. Mm-hmm. For, like, charging my camera. I didn't. I actually never really charged my camera gear and stuff. There were enough, like, libraries and coffee shops we could stop in that I, like, charged stuff while we were... or like editing and just going through pictures and Craig wrote actually we have I think the first like four or six months or something like that on a what was that thread called expedition portal thread an expedition portal thread so like we had a ton of photos and essentially the journal of our time on the road on expedition portal I think it's still there so six months of not of a car a lot of expenses are removed right so you don't have to pay rent you don't have to pay utilities very variety of other Mm -hmm. things but you still have plenty of costs from gas and day-to-day life. Fixing and a, the truck. Yeah. Oh, you had to fix the truck at some point, or just um, maintenance. Numerous and, times. Yeah. It, was, the truck. it yeah. was 15 years old and had 135,000 miles on it when we got it. It needed to be fixed pretty frequently. But I'd it, say once a month. We weren't. It, it ended up being pretty pretty we, reliable. We picked up hitchhikers in Zion 
we were driving back to Hurricane, I like think. Colab. Yeah, in the Colab area. And our car, the, the truck promptly... Just slowly just, just puttered just, to a stop. Just died. And like, we picked like, him up, and like two minutes later, he just died. He was like... <laughs> and he was like, all right, well, I'll see you guys they later. Just got, they just got out and got the put next their ride. thumbs out, and someone picked them up pretty quickly. Yeah, if this was like a sitcom or something, you would have driven up, you, you would have picked him up, the car would have broken down, the next shot would have been all four of you hitchhiking. We were, <laughs> you know, where we were parked was like a dirt parking lot like back on dirt road somewhere so at least we got them to the highway or like not the highway but a paved road (laughs) meanwhile they were hiking ahead i mean they were hitchhiking ahead and they're like there's some other guys back there that need someone to go help them out yeah we didn't have phone service so we had to hike up a hill to get phone service to call a tow truck it was just a fuel pump which is like kind of a not unusual thing to go out at that time so so how are all these costs being covered are you working while you're on the road or did you just put away a lot of money ahead of time? How is that being handled? Both. We'd saved money in order to be able to go on the trip. And then I was shooting for outdoors companies, which was great. You made as much money that year as you did the year before. Yeah. Right? I it, Honestly, we didn't, we didn't really spend any of our saved money because I made enough money that year to like cover the cost. Again, it's like not that expensive to, to live on the road in an old suburban. So yeah, gas and fixing the truck were our biggest expenses, I think. Other than that, we're, we don't eat out that often. We don't drink really. Pretty we low. already owned everything that we had in the truck. so Pretty low maintenance for the most part, yeah. All right, so another question that Eric and I used to get from people all the time when they found out we had traveled in a car for two months together. Did you fight all the time? How did you get along? We already we would have killed each other. So yeah. nothing, had changed. <laughs> nothing changed. Still fighting all the time, yes. I don't think we fought any more or any less. I can say that we had more fun, though. Yeah, than, we definitely had more fun. Yeah. So. We, had, we had a ton of fun, and just like when you're getting to do canyons, ski or surf or hike or climb. Well, Craig doesn't really like climbing, but I would force him to belay me sometimes or mountain bike. You're kind of just moving all the time. So there's not as much time for fighting. Do you think Craig doesn't like climbing because he wasn't immediately good at it? (laughs) Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Um, You know, I do feel like he has climbed enough times now to know whether or not he likes climbing. Because he'd go to the gym with me. He's done a lot of single pitch stuff with me too. And when we lived in San Diego, I made him come with me fairly often. Right, so, so I we, think he actually just doesn't like climbing. We can let him off the <laughs> yeah. He may have been that early on, but it's it's just anxiety of being up high. Mm-hmm. And so canyoneering was in, it was anxiety inducing being up high and on. But it was worth it because of going to the incredible places that nobody else sees. That was totally worth it. And the whole process of it was awesome. And you spend so little time on actually on ropes. Like you set up the rappel and then you go down the rope and that's what you do. The climbing part, like being out on the wall for an extended period of time just was not fun at all. Like it just is way too scary for me. All right, so six months together and then he takes off and leaves you alone? Yeah, basically he moved to Providence in the winter. Oh man, I honestly don't even know what I did. I think I stayed and skied for another month or so. And I did a couple winter 14ers, which was really fun. Then I think I went to try and find warmth. And I went maybe back down south into San Diego. So during this time too, and actually when Craig left, I was able to focus on really just like booking photo jobs and stuff a lot more. So I was really more frequently going from job to job during that time, doing stuff with meeting friends places. But yeah, I kind of just like wandered around um, the desert Southwest while it was getting warmer. 
and just and do, that was for another jobs. six months right yeah craig came back in june i want to say but yeah about five five and a half months or so oh right because then you have summer break mm-hmm. okay oh so when he came back yeah so i flew out to <laughs> i flew out to oh, yeah i don't even remember vancouver <laughs> Yeah, I was and in Vancouver at that. So she'd been. Or no, I was in Squamish climbing. So we'd been apart for five and a half months or so, and I came back. I flew out to Vancouver. I found that my wife, whose name is Kat, had turned completely feral, which was very <laughs> fitting. She'd been living on her own in a truck for the last I d- five I did and a half months. A lot more months. climbing when he was gone, and so I. And was... she was a complete wild animal. Was it like? Lot, was it a lot more fun when he was gone? <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely would not say that. I much prefer having him on the road with me, but I did definitely do a lot more climbing and I got way better at climbing. And I, that is the time that I like learned trad and I took a bunch of trad clinics and I met you guys at Red Rock rendezvous. Oh, and stuff. right, right. Yeah. And then we got on Birdland and then I forget why we bailed. I don't think like we, we bailed. We, we did. Climbed? We got partway up oh, and I then we Oh, I don't even bailed. remember that. Wow. I forget why. I think it was like late in the day. Well, I think we got a late start We definitely got a late and start. And we had, what, like four of us or something? Three of us? I forget. Uh-huh. There were four, I think. I mean, I can edit that out and I can just say we rocked Birdland real hard. Yeah, instead. I didn't remember. I was just like, whatever, we did a climb. I don't know if we got to the top or not. It was pretty. <laughs> But yeah, I was just learning all of that stuff. And um, that's when I did um, the chief on Squamish. One of my friends that lived in Washington, I was climbing at Index with them. And then he was like, well, I'm not doing anything for the next two weeks. So he came up to Squamish and he w- like was a very skilled climber, climbing every single day, like a ton of really difficult routes. And I was getting into really good shape, but also completely exhausted. And when we did this, the chief, which I don't remember how many pitches it was, but it was like somewhere 12 to 18 pitches, I think. So we top out, hike all the way down, and I have to go pick up Craig from the airport because he's coming that day. And I fall asleep in the truck and I'm like, you know, we get down in the afternoon sometimes, so like one or two. I don't have to pick him up until like 11 p.m. or something like that. So I'm like, I'm just going to take a nap. I wake up at 10 p.m. Like, I just slept for a lot of hours straight. And I'm like, oh, shit. Floor it to the airport, basically. But I made it on time. I don't think he even noticed. But I was definitely a wild animal at that point because I don't remember the last time I had showered. I'd literally just climbed all day, passed out for a minute. I don't even know if I knew like what day it was or what time of day or anything. All right. So now we're going to talk about the part that's going to bore Craig. So you said you were doing more climbing while he's going. You're hitting up all these climbing areas. Yeah. Let's tick them off really quickly. If you can even remember, like, were you? It was all through the West and then through yeah, Western so Canada. Also, I climbed in um, like Mammoth area in Zion too, like the Kolob area. We climbed there. I, my friends would just meet me. So my friends from California would meet me, like somewhere in California. We climbed in Yosemite. We climbed. I mean, did you hit up like Indian Creek? Yeah. And, oh and yeah, Indian climbed yeah, in yeah. Indian Creek. Yeah. See, you're saying the names, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> I definitely climbed there at some point. But I honestly don't remember i know i climbed an index in washington a couple other places and smith rock maybe uh, yep we climbed at smith rock in oregon and yeah now that you're saying the places i remember climbing there but up in squamish 
and in like um, Vitabu in Wyoming. But I just don't remember the timeline of when mm-hmm. all of this stuff was. So you're hitting up a lot of different areas with different types of rock, different rock quality, mm-hmm. different styles of climbing. Mm-hmm. Did any of them stand out or did any of them you speak to? Like, for instance, I've never been Indian Creek. I'm a terrible crack climber mm-hmm. and I really need to go there to well, learn. Well, I also thought that about myself and crack cl- and all my friends told me crack climbing is just a thing that's really painful and horrible until one day you get it and then you're just fine and then it'll be your favorite time of climbing type of climbing and I was like you guys are crazy this is wildly painful you're shoving your hands and your feet into these cracks like this is nuts and then like one day I figured it out and I was like this is my favorite type of climbing (laughs) this is all I want to do now I loved Indian Creek when people ask me where my favorite place to climb is I usually say Indian Creek even though you couldn't remember the name of it (laughs) no I I remember the name I just like didn't remember that I had climbed in Indian Creek on that particular section of the trip but yeah I definitely did during that time I was mostly focused on learning to become proficient at trad climbing so I was mostly trad climbing with probably with occasional sport climbing but um, the Indian Creek trip index and Squamish were probably where I did my most practice and at Red Rock Rendezvous during that time too but because I took a clinic there and stuff but yeah I was just practicing becoming proficient at trad that's a lot of time to be able to travel and climb in different areas Mm -hmm. how do you feel like your skills advanced in that time period i got way better when i moved to rhode island or when i moved to the east coast i climbed at the gunks and like one day i led you know 15 trad climbs in a day um in the gunks and yeah i I climbed then all over new england like fun trad most of it single pitch trad stuff but i felt like a, a more competent confident trad climber after that so while you're traveling for these six months He's taken off. So, Craig, what's going on with you during those six months? I had uh, started coaching the team that I was a part of in college, the Brown University throwers. So, shot putters, discus throwers, hammer throwers, and javelin throwers. And uh, I was making up a lot of it because uh, I only threw one in college. I threw the javelin. And so I knew a lot about the other events, but I'd never done them myself. And it was my first NCAA coaching job. And I'd spent a lot of time around a lot of a lot of great throwers, but uh, coaching people and developing athletes was was new to me in three of the four events that I was coaching. So the whole weightlifting side and training side and writing training and all of that I was super comfortable with for, across all the events. But I was in full learning mode, learning while doing mode for those entire six months. It was it was great, a ton of work, and you realize as a coach you never really have the resources that you feel like you need and so it feels a little bit like being a teacher where you're constantly in it and constantly feeling like you're trying to make up for a lack of resources with more of your own time so it actually worked very well that cat wasn't there because i think i i lived with one of the other coaches and i i went from like outdoors 100 percent of the time to track and field 100 percent of the time i think i was probably in the office around nine and then i would leave the weight room after i would go lift and hang out with the coaches in the evening after coaching and sometimes we'd get home at 8 p.m you know we will have spent the entire day out there either like working out ourselves or coaching or recruiting or you know talking shop with the other coaches and just learning from them it was awesome that was like a, a great a great time something i think is really interesting about this so you both go on this road trip together and you spend six months doing overlapping activities and overlapping interests granted at first craig was not into surfing and that changed 
And so you spend these six months always together doing these activities you both enjoy together. Then you split for six months and go off and do the things that the other one has no interest in. I'm pretty sure Kat doesn't want to throw javelin. No. And we know Craig not super stoked on climbing no, that's rocks. That's true. That is true. That's true. So you like went off and had like your personal yeah. like bachelor bachelorette experience. Yeah. No, that is true. And I remember coming back to Vancouver, like flying into Vancouver, and she was talking about all this stuff, and I know know very little about climbing. Also, I have very little interest in climbing, and so it was like we were like reacclimatizing to each other. Yeah. <laughs> mating to each other it was yeah. uh, because we just had like we were like well we need to do things that we both like and to do i now. had him belay me on a trad climb and i was like i don't want to do this shit this is terrible <laughs> i don't want to watch my wife die in front of my eyes it was horrible because he was just yelling oh like i'm not sure about that piece that you just placed and all this which is like as your leading trad is not what you yeah, want to be hearing yeah. <laughs> so i just came down from that one climb i was like and we're done here and then my friend kevin who was the one that was climbing with me and um, Squamish was like, well, I think it's my cue to leave now because this guy doesn't even want to climb. But we went and did a rope swing into a lake, which is definitely Craig's speed. And right, right, so they right. had fun do- doing that. So yeah. how much longer do you travel from this point before it's over? Because it's been a year now that you're traveling, Kat. Yeah, so we went... I went until mid-August. You also are engaged, but you're still not married at this point. Right? Yeah. True. So that's got to happen at some point. Yeah. Too. So we travel all through the summer. Then we go to Kansas mid-August and we got married September 3rd. So you didn't go back to Providence until right after we got married, I think. And this is 2017 at this 2017 point? 2017 okay. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we were supposed to go to Alaska. So when we were up in Canada, the idea was keep going north. We had started dating in Denali when we were working in Denali National Park in Alaska. So we wanted to go back there. And then we wanted to go all the way to the Arctic Circle and jump into the ocean <laughs> bear Alaska. <laughs> that was the goal. However, our friends that lived in Breckenridge that was very rude of them to also get engaged and plan their wedding for that summer and so people are just assholes i know (laughs) so we first we went over to banff national park and then down through glacier national park through Ohio, we saw friends from Alaska um, in Idaho, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. But we, anyways, we slowly made our way to Breckenridge where they were getting married. So that instead- They were the same people that we stayed with, so. Yeah. <laughs> they were allowed to get Good friends of ours. Because... Just impeccably bad timing for their wedding. <laughs> I mean, they really should have consulted you. I know. <laughs> unacceptable and unforgivable. I guess we could have flown, but we were on a budget. So when does, when does Suburban get sold? And when does it all end? Okay, so the Suburban doesn't get sold for a couple more years at least, I think. So A few more years. So does it get used or does it just sit at the house? We got married. Craig went September to Providence. September 2017. I kept traveling in the Suburban for a few months after that. Yeah, we got married at the beginning of September uh, 2017. And then I think I moved to Providence December of that year of 2017. So I had a few work things that I need to finish out west before I could move. So then I drive it across the country. There we parked it at the condo for... Six months maybe? Maybe. Yeah, and then you drove it back and across the country. And then I drove it back across the country. <laughs> and you parked it in Phoenix. And I left it in Phoenix in a storage facility so that I could fly to it, get in it, and do my jobs out west. So. Oh, yeah, and you visited us mm-hmm. during COVID. 
Well, have that been 2020? That was 2021 maybe? that we visited. 2020, but that's that's another, there's another. You were in the suburban then, right? Yes. We were. Right. So you so, still had it then. But I, so I left it out there in Phoenix and I flew to it, I don't know, multiple times each year for the next, yeah, for the next three years. We've, I flew to it multiple times, did my jobs out West. I was like, oh, I have two homes, <laughs> one, on the west, one a suburban on the West coast and, uh, you know, our condo on the, on the East coast. It sounds more luxurious than it is, but <laughs> Yeah. And then COVID shut everything down, which actually was like a huge moment to think about life because, I mean, I think it was for everybody, but I'd been going for four years of, and my life was pretty much only track and field and then surfing whenever I'd have some time. And mountain biking. And mountain biking. So we started out, yeah. So we were still doing fun things, but it was more weekend warrior things. And after traveling in a van for a year or a truck for a year you're kind of itching to get back to it at every turn and covid shut everything down i wasn't even coaching people really so we had the opportunity to we decided to fly out to in 2021 when things started to calm down a little bit we flew out to phoenix got in the suburban and hit the road again really only for a month six weeks i think six weeks okay so for about six weeks which was amazing and uh it was another just another reminder that we absolutely have to do it again i think that'll be in the back of my mind all the time. So this is 2021. Mm-hmm. And we visited you guys. That's mm-hmm. right. You did visit us. You came and visited us and did not give us COVID and we did not give you COVID. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's great. But the timeline is definitely bringing us close to the fact that at some point, Kat is going to have a baby. Oh, so in, tw- in 2021 is when I got pregnant, like later that fall. So I think we visited you guys in January. And then in the fall, we got pregnant and um, had Van our cutie little one-year-old in May of 2022. So let's talk about that. So after you've lived in a suburban for all this time and spent all this time traveling, this is a decision from the two of you, I must assume, that you're going to change your lifestyle very drastically. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about why you made that decision and how you feel about that decision. You know, strangely, at the time, I definitely thought it was going to be a major sacrifice to lifestyle and certainly to like outdoor lifestyle. But I actually think it's turned out to be a huge step towards more outdoor future lifestyle stuff because I was so like gung-ho and 100% felt like 100% of my life was track and field, track and field, track and field that I didn't really realize it, but I'd been like kind of totally neglecting the kind of like outdoor identity part of myself. And so having Van was a dramatic reminder and it it really made me aware of how much time I was pouring into track and field and also how much like kind of stress and I couldn't turn my brain off and, and how much stress I was bringing home every day for something that was supposed to be like a fun dream job. And uh, it was just a reminder. At the end of the day, it was pretty clear that I was either going to be a great coach or a great dad. And it was going to be very hard to do both of those things. Kat travels for her work and I traveled for that job. Uh, Anyway, I ended up leaving my job about six weeks ago. And so I think having Van actually really like jump-started my brain to say, well, let's make a lifestyle that's going to be really conducive to having kids and doing the things that we want to do. And that kind of cut out full-time track and field coaching which I think is leading us to having a lot more flexibility to do the kind of things that we've done in the past, even though we have the kids, which will make things different and cha- and more challenging. But a lot more of that, I think, is in our future than it would have been if had we not had a, had a, a kid. We've both always known that we wanted to have kids, but 
timing was just always like, okay, but when? Because we were both kind of just like, well, we're too busy doing stuff and living our lives the way we want to. And also we really like our lives the way they are. And we're having a lot of fun. And then I think we just came to a point, which I, I honestly feel like Craig's job was like maybe good for that because we came to a point in our lives where we had settled kind of a little bit, like after the road, after we lived on the road, he was in this job, you know, for at least the first couple of years he was passionate about and cared about a lot and was more interested in doing than like traveling all the time. And I started a business that a photography business that kind of had me still traveling all over New England and stuff, but it was definitely more stable. And so we were both more stable and steady than we had been in our previous lives at all. And so it, honestly, it, it was just like, okay, well, I guess the time is now is now like I don't know if did we ever even talk about we just thought like seems right and that was kind of it so we were like I guess if we're gonna do it uh it's it's now so that's how we didn't really discuss it further than it's like this seems like a good time so let's talk about physical impacts because Kat you've been an athlete you've been extremely active person your Mm -hmm. whole life and this decision, while it greatly affects both of you, is going to affect you physically mm-hmm. more than him. Yeah. How did it impact you? Yeah. So the f- the first trimester, you can often have like nausea and stuff like that for, they call it morning sickness, but you can really feel sick all the time. And I was in my really busy season for, I shoot, uh, I photograph adventure elopements now. Puking behind bushes (laughs) while people are getting married. (laughs) Yeah, so I wanted to avoid the puking during someone's elopement, obviously. So I hired someone to come with me for a few of them during the time that I was really feeling nauseous. I never puked during anyone's elopement. I did puke before and after sometimes, <laughs> but not during. So that was the first trimester was definitely trying in that way. But otherwise, physically, other than feeling nauseous, I was perfectly, you know, fine and capable of doing everything. Second trimester, kind of the same thing, except for the nausea had gone away, thank God. But I was, you know, just getting bigger, but not not to the point that I couldn't still do a bunch of stuff. I think I surfed until I was like five or almost six months pregnant. Then I didn't fit in my winter wetsuit anymore because I was that pregnant in the winter. Then the third trimester, I was um, diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And so things just got crazy in the third trimester, honestly. Like it was definitely really hard mentally and physically. But but yeah, then like as you get closer to your due date and stuff, I just think that yeah, you sort of take for granted like how much you use your body, especially as an athlete. And, um, you know, I, I slowly, like the first thing I stopped doing was mountain biking. The second thing I stopped doing was, well, I stopped climbing, then stopped mountain biking, then stopped surfing. And I was like, okay, I guess all I can do is walk now because I can't really run <laughs> per se anymore. We did snowshoe while I was pretty pregnant, I did shoot a couple winter elopements and I had like micro spikes when I was seven months pregnant (laughs) on frozen waterfalls and stuff. And I was, it was a ski elopement and, but I had to hire someone to shoot the ski portion of it. I definitely challenges that maybe you could guess were coming based on my job and just the fact of 
of what being pregnant means. But, but, you know, after having the kid, I think everything took a little bit longer than I thought it was going to. I was very excited to start working out again six weeks after and just like moving. And then I went surfing literally the first day that I was allowed to, even though the waves were like tiny and almost non-existent. But I just wanted to be in the water. Um, So physically, yeah, it was definitely like pretty challenging as a person who really likes all of my hobbies involve using my body somehow so challenging but ultimately like so worth it yeah so let's talk about the little guy yeah um, sounds like you do not regret the decision he said turtle one, today <laughs> he said, no he said hello turtle he said hello turtle <laughs> and and not to brag about myself on my show but i am the person that taught him to say hello yeah, jason the taught him to say hello him. yesterday <laughs> and then he said turtle today and then he combine the two hello turtle he's 16 months old so basically he's a savant yeah basically a genius yeah without a doubt i think no one would disagree yeah we love him he's like the greatest and so he much keeps fun us from being on our phones too much mm-hmm. that's a that's a huge thing that i didn't anticipate is like really the whole like taking care of your child it really seems truly impossible when you're watching other people do it but then when it's your child, you like want to take care of them because they're these this tiny, like kind of helpless little being. And so it's like nice to take care of them. And also it essentially just you realize how much time you just wasted doing completely useless shit. And so you're now like, you know, screen time is down to almost nothing because you're spending time with this little helpless little goofy monkey that you have now in your house. And it's hysterical. It's great. So, And what has been super fun is going biking with him and teaching him, you know, hiking, just doing all the things that we love doing and seeing him do them for the first time or experience them for the first time. Like the first time we put his bike helmet on his head, he just screamed and cried and cried and wanted nothing to do with it. Now, if you show him his bike helmet, he gets very excited and can't wait to get into the bike trailer. So it's fun to see the evolution of like how much he is enjoying doing the things that we do outside. He loves swimming. He loves going in the bike trailer. Also, the first time we put him into the hiking backpack, he screamed and cried. And then once Craig started walking with him, he was like, okay, this is not that bad. And then we found wild raspberries and he was like, this is great. (laughs) I do remember yesterday when he didn't get to go into the bike trailer and thought he was going to get to go in the bike trailer. He was very unhappy about that. But today he did get to go in the bike trailer in the rain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's an all-terrain baby. (laughs) (laughs) Now I think is a great time to talk about the future that you guys want to build. And I know this is something we talked about a bit a while back. You've already alluded to it somewhat, Craig. What do you both want to talk about with where you want to go from here as parents and as people who once lived in a vehicle and want to live in a vehicle again, correct? Yeah, we want to live in a vehicle again. You just said it, Jason. That's what we want. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I like to set up jokes but tell the punchline before. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kat is usually the person in our life who has the, the broad, the long-term vision and also, she like I don't know dates. I don't know anyone's birthday. And Kat like knows things about my, dates my birthday is October twenty eighth. <laughs> <laughs> but Kat was like, in the summer of twenty twenty six, we're gonna take off on the road for a year. And I was like, what? Like, why? It's so specific. She's like, it's the last year before Van goes to daycare. 
And so she's like, so we have to go have our second kid, and then our second kid will be two years old, and then Van will be five, and it'll be right before he goes to daycare, or goes to kindergarten, and we're going to spend the whole year on the road. And it took me like 30 minutes to be like, yeah, that's what we're doing. So 2026, now we're telling everybody, 2026, we're going to get an RV, we're going to get on the road, that's what we're going to do. I'm working on figuring out what that's going to be. And Craig and- is the one who knows everything about what vehicle is the right one for the job, so naturally he has been researching. So we'll figure that out, we'll take off on the road for a year, and then, yeah, and so... You know, I think when we first went on the road, it was like I was had finished up a chapter in my life and Kat was opening a new chapter in her life and it was we were untethered to anything. Oh, and dang. so <laughs> and so the whole like me leaving my job has opened up a lot of possibilities. Kat has inspired me to never have a boss again because she doesn't have a boss other than herself. And so we're starting it. We have a couple other businesses going. Kat is also Um, She's like an eagle for business opportunities. So she's always like seeing where money can be made and where, yeah. And so more or less, as soon as I stopped coaching full time, um, she had like multiple business ideas. Actually, they were already developing before I even stopped coaching. So we already kind of had a, had a, a plan from that perspective when I left this job. And now we have like pretty significant flexibility, although we're in the building phase where we have pretty significant flexibility, but we're going to have hopefully very flexible uh, lifestyles yeah. soon. So that's the plan. We're just working towards that. So do you think you're going to be able to pull that off? Super flexible lifestyle, raising two kids and traveling. Oh, we don't have the second one yet. <laughs> <laughs> we're not even pregnant, as far as we know. Right, I hope right, we are, right. but maybe not. We're not currently pregnant. But according to the math equation that it sounds like you wrote out to figure out how this all falls into place, that needs to happen. Yeah, it needs yeah, to happen, you know, within the next year or two. I have absolutely no doubt that it will. <laughs> Things will out. fall into place when they need to, we suppose. It do- kind of doesn't work like it happens when you want it to. It just sort of happens when... It'll work out even better than we are. Right yeah, now. probably. Hopefully, <laughs> that's the case. But yeah, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, it's going to work out. Cat's cat's like a cat's a she's a business pro. So and building two photography businesses that I realize that I like the business side of things just as much as I like the photography side of things, which is like kind of weird for an for an artist to feel that way. But yeah, I enjoy that part of it too. So it's kind of fun for me to feel. It's like a game. How do I win this game? That's that's it. <laughs> how do you destroy the competition? Yeah, basically, and, um, I'm get a really, all the money. How do you I'm, devastate I'm, the environment? I'm a really <laughs> I'm a really competitive person. So competing with myself, it's just like you know, I'm not necessarily competing against anyone else. Just like, can I do better than I did last year? And it's like, well with some time and focused effort it turns out the answer is usually yes so wh- when craig decided to when we decided that like okay this this is enough of this job he does have a ton of skill like really unusual kind of like niche <laughs> skills right oh like throwing a stick real good <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> like not that many people are experts in the things that he is an expert in so definitely there's a business there uh, whether he likes it or not <laughs> i have a new boss Uh, (laughs) no but we're excited about the possibility and the potential and just where the future is going to go which yeah definitely includes living on the road again i kind of think we'll go back to that for multiple stages in our life like i don't think we'll live on the road for the rest of our life but i think you know 2026 we'll live on the road for a year then maybe like who knows it's at that point 
what that that will be exactly 10 years from the first time we lived on the road maybe every decade we'll live on the road for a year i and don't every know every seven years i'll stop in and have you check in with me and record <laughs> one of that these. sounds yeah. great <laughs> that sounds great i feel like that's too infrequent though maybe every five years well we see him in between that but oh yeah no no i mean living on the road like Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> he wants to make yeah. that every five instead of okay, every day. Okay, yeah. that's, that's what it is. fine with me. This is the part that might be a little tricky. So there are probably other people listening that are like, oh, I want to go live in a van, I want to do whatever. Do you have any advice for people? Because in our society, it's very easy to tell people there's a particular path you're supposed to follow in life, and this is what it's supposed to look like. And you two have really not followed that path at all with little moments where you're on that traditional path. So is there anything you think you could recommend to people who are interested in breaking free of like a traditional life path and pursuing something along the lines that you two have? Visit our website, vintagefreedom.com. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess the big thing is I'd say, and I, and I feel like everybody has their one friend. Hopefully everyone has their one friend or like that one time in their life that they had a lot of interesting conversations and they talked a lot about their life and where they wanted to go and all these things they cared things, about things they cared about don't stop doing that like have someone that you hopefully find somebody who wants to talk to you about that and do that a lot i don't know if it's american life or just i think it's probably just life in general can have you go for months and sometimes years and you don't do any of that or very little or you don't feel like you have the time to do that but Try to make the time to do that, to think about your life and to think about the things you like to do and how you might be able to make your life you know, more conducive to, to living that kind of life, uh, the life you want to live. And just spend a lot of time thinking about it. The other thing would be like, don't not pay attention to your finances because I also think that it's very easy to live your life and pay your bills and not pay any attention. But if you pay attention and you kind of know the rules of the game, you can make a dramatic improvement over if you weren't paying. Well, I was going to say so. this is more practical advice than inspirational, like like Craig's first part was. But if you don't want to buy a house, don't buy a house. If you want to buy a house, don't buy a house you can't afford. <laughs> buy a house that is like super, super well within your range. If you live in a place where you can't afford to buy a house, don't buy one. Don't buy one. Or if you really want a house, move to a place where you can afford to buy a house. <laughs> because I think that's one of the things in adulthood that people like get really like underwater with or feel like they're drowning or overwhelmed or kind of like sort of starts encompassing their whole being is, oh, I have to own a house. I have to own a house. They buy one that's like as much as they can afford. And then they're like, oh, shoot, I have to keep working like this forever. And I think you feel more trapped if you have this large payment that you have to pay. You don't feel like you could maybe take the risk to start working for yourself or do something that you really wanted to do or change careers. So you sort of... And you sure as hell can't take off and live on the road. Right. So... So I'm saying house, but I kind of mean like anything, car, right. like whatever it is, just like live smaller. Live than, way within your means, as, as live super aggressively within, within your means as possible. As possible, because like none of what we've done or are going to do would be possible without um, like planning extensively for it. So that is something that I think gets unsaid a lot of times you talked about it a little bit when you asked how could we do the first time around and we said mm -hmm. well we saved for it but then we also you know like had a business that was making money on the road that's something that 
you, you're right is the most asked question like well how do you afford to do that and it's like well you know depending on how you live on the road it can be really um cheap too like we stayed in dispersed campgrounds on like national forest land and blm land out west walmart parking lots and just like we i think on that entire year in in 2016 to 2017 that we lived on the road we paid for campsites two times like a grand total of two times and that's not to say with our rv and our two kids that we're going to manage to do that in the exact same way so it's much easier in the western u.s to Mm. do that than way eastern or southern u.s and this 2026 road trip is actually going to be an east coast road trip so we want to go from like Nova Scotia, like down to Florida, basically. So I imagine it will be more expensive, but luckily we are also better equipped to handle that now. So one of the things I would say to people, and I'd be curious to see if you both agree with this, is I think any decisions you make in life are always going to come with certain sacrifices and you have to decide what sacrifices you're willing to make, Mm -hmm. which things in life that seem important to you, you're willing to eschew. And that's how you accomplish things. Because I've had the same sort of thing with different types of my lifestyle where people be like oh you're so lucky to do that and Mm -hmm. it's like there is a lot of truth to that Mm -hmm. there are also lots of sacrifices Mm -hmm. that i've made and and we could we could list them off and for you guys it's the same you're not going to have a pension Mm -hmm. you're not going to have a variety of other things that people do you're not going to own a boat you're not going to be able to have a place with a boat unless it's a boat that we live on because we've (laughs) given up our house right (laughs) so so i i think people have to look at what they want more and what they're willing to sacrifice and then sacrifice those things yeah, I, I think that we're super lucky the way that we sort of think alike in a lot of ways. So it doesn't necessarily feel like sacrifices to either one of us. Like mm-hmm. if one of us really cared about one thing over another thing, then maybe it would feel more like a sacrifice for one of us. I, I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah, find it? a, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, find a partner <laughs> that you agree on. Yeah, that's like really good. lifestyle, <laughs> major yeah. lifestyle yeah. decisions and, and like money on. I mean, that totally changes the game. I yeah. think our thought process and going to these is so aligned that we're just like yeah that makes the most sense why wouldn't we live in an rv like definitely there's no there's there's nothing that feels sacrificial about it it's like it feels it's the same and i think athletes in general really understand this it's just thinking about your life in more long term but it's just thinking about your life in in a longer time span an athlete you're not like squatting heavy weight because it's it feels really good you know you're doing it because it makes you strong and you're not waking up early to train because it's like the most fun you're doing it because it makes you the person that you want to be in the future you know you're you're putting in your time now to be the person that you want to be in the future and the same thing goes for the quote-unquote sacrifices that you make about you know not doing this or not doing that or not buying this or not buying that well in the future you end up doing the things that you really want the big things that you really want to do the things that were more important than those small sacrifices yeah Yeah. and they're not even sacrifices it feels like progress along the way so i think we're approaching the point where we should wrap this up and i feel like you guys have kind of already left some of the final thoughts but as you may remember from when you're on the show before i'm going to force you both to leave the audience with a final thought so let's do that. Who wants to go first? Okay. Um, so I was just gonna yell YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think uh, I think uh, American society is set up around progress being making more money and showing that you have more money and climbing the status ladder. Doing that is devaluing the thing that you actually have limited as a resource, which is your time. If you think about your life as a limited amount of time and how can you do the most awesome things with that limited amount of time, then 
a lot of the things that you want to do become easier to do than if you're if you worry about if you get swept up in what American society kind of teaches you to want, which is like a richer life or looking more rich or having more status or doing fancier things. I think that's a trap to lead you to spending your time in ways that you don't actually want to spend it. So think about your time and what you need to do to spend more time doing what you want to do. Since having a kid, um, we've realized like spending time with him, spending time with each other, spending time with friends and family is definitely the things that we value the most. And so figuring out how to organize our life in a way that we can do that stuff as much as possible rather than like show the world oh look at our fancy new car or our big beautiful house (laughs) like to us it's more important that we get to see our friend like you guys live across the country but our friends across the country come and you know stay with us and you know we get to see my family in Kansas and his family in Rhode Island and in the Boston area and that Van gets to see and experience all of these people too because that's really what we want to teach him that matters all right, so it sounds like those are the final words. I just want to tack on to what you said, to what you guys said. Also, because sometimes I think what people hear is, oh, do what you want, blah, 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 be selfish. But that's not what you guys are saying. It's figure out what makes life richer and then still be a contributing member of society, but in the most valuable way. And the most valuable way isn't have the most money. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, it like- might be for some people. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like that. I think it's like figure out to contribute to society in a way that uses your unique expertise in whatever it is that you've been interested in or passionate about in your life. And so with that, we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to thank you both for letting Erica and I come crash at your house and hang out with you and ride bikes and play in the rain and go look at H.P. Lovecraft's grave and all the other things. Thanks for sitting through that, Eric. <laughs> and no surf problem. tomorrow. Oh, yeah, and apparently we're going to surf in the morning. Yeah. And before I turn this off, I'm going to make Erica say her thanks yes. on the microphone also. Say thanks, it, everyone. I'm Erica. <laughs> Take care. Have a great night. Say the closers, Erica. <laughs> Good night, everybody. I've been making podcasts for a few years now. You're probably aware of that if you listen to this show regularly. And I recently switched to Zencaster because podcasting is not always easy. But Zencaster is an all-in-one solution that is here to make podcasting easy. You can record directly through your browser, whether you have an audio podcast, a video podcast, or if you're like me and you record your podcast out in the field, you can still work with Zencaster's tools. It's there whether you want to build everything in your browser browser or whether you want to build it somewhere separately and then move it into your browser. Super easy to use audio or video podcast. They have post-production tools to help you sound your best, to take out the ums and ahs, to remove awkward pauses, to adjust your loudness and your levels for you. If you've ever heard me do this show and you thought, that seems pretty easy, I want to go make my own podcast. Well, you know, it is pretty easy if you go use Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code GOPODCAST and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all of my podcasting needs. I think it's time for you to go share your story. 
Plastics were a wonderful invention that have a myriad of uses, but we have unfortunately become overly dependent on them in our society. And now we use them in everything and they end up in our oceans, they end up in our food, they end up in our bodies. And that's why I want to tell you about Sun and Swell Foods. They're the nation's first online plastic-free grocery store. They have an assortment of delicious, healthy foods and plastic-free, and get this, compostable packaging. If you don't have access to composting, that's cool because they also have a program where you can send back all your packaging and they will compost it for you. Their foods are 100% plant-based and vegan, 100% gluten-free, and 100% real food. No added preservatives, no added unnecessary ingredients. So if you are looking for a more planet-friendly pantry, shop Sun and Swell and get 20% off site-wide when you go to sunandswellfoods.com and use code GOPODCAST at checkout. That is 20% off your entire order when you use GOPODCAST at sunandswellfoods.com. And of course, we've come to the part of the show where I invite you all to go to our website, gogetoutside.com. Look for this episode 108 with Kat and Craig. And there you're going to find photographs. You're going to find links to all of the things we talked about in today's show. And since you are already going to be on a computer machine, perhaps you want to get in touch with us here at the show. Well, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can send us an email, jason at gogetoutside.com. You could text us or leave a voicemail at 818-925-0106. And as always, please go to your podcast purveyor of choice. Make sure you have subscribed to the show, rate it, review it, and please, please share it with someone who you think will enjoy this. Next time on the show, I mentioned earlier in this season that I would periodically release a bonus episode. Well, if you come back in a week... We will have the first of those bonus episodes. And if you come back a week after that, on December 16th, we'll have a brand new regular episode of this show. And it is a hell of an episode. If you have ever enjoyed this show, you will want to come back December 16th for episode 109 with Eileen Bell. I can't think of anyone who is not going to enjoy this absolutely ridiculous episode. So please come back December 16th so that you can hear about Eileen's ludicrous nomadic lifestyle, her past train hopping experiences, her questionable decisions in life that always seem to pay off, the beautiful power of friendship, and the might of the mighty whistle pig. December 16th, Eileen Bell, don't miss it. See you then.
So I know there are mornings where I think, oh, it'd be great to have a nice big fruit smoothie, but I don't feel like breaking out the big blender. I don't want to clean the blender afterwards. And so I just end up eating a bowl of cereal. Well, someone has come along to help us solve this problem. And that is BlendJet. Specifically, BlendJet 2. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. And if you're thinking, oh, but is it beautiful? Does it come in the color that I like? Well, more than likely, the answer to that is yes, because they've got 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. You can even pick Urban Camo if that's what you're into. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com, grab yours today, and be sure to use the promo code Go podcast to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. So blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code GOPODCAST to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. 